The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Welcome to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. We're broadcasting live in Johannesburg and worldwide on the HiFM website. You can also download us on your smartphones or your Androids. Um, just look for the HiFM app and you can basically listen to us anywhere, anytime. You can even plan a alert on your phone for your favorite shows. You can listen to podcasts, you can listen to recordings, um, and you can share it with your friends. Last week, if you tuned into the show, you would have heard my rant about a tweet that was made by Tito Mboweni. Um, in essence, he tweeted that he had received a report back from the PIC um, Commission of Inquiry and that he needed to report back on the president the following week. And he had to make time to read through this particular report in between cooking that particular weekend. And um, I basically went off on a bit of a tangent because I thought to myself, we're talking about people's money. We're talking about people's livelihoods. We're talking about the plunder of imported funds, that being the Public Investment Corporation, which in essence is funded by the Government Employees Pension Fund. I thought a lot about this during the past week, and we've had shows in the past where we've looked at the plunder of other funds as well as the movement of assets that was sold off. One, one will remember the show we had um, regarding the sale of the V&A Waterfront, which was the um, diamond in the crown of the Transit Pension Fund, which was sold off to Dubai World for a couple of billion, but it was worth a lot more than that at the time. And there's been instances where pension funds have been abused, funds have been misappropriated. Of late, we've heard the Minister um, of Public Enterprises, Pravin Gordon, calling on funds to be accessed to help fund certain government projects, etc., including that of Eskom. And this has got a lot of people worried. When one chats to teachers, when one chats to police officers, they say to you that they're considering taking early retirement, which is 55, I believe, so that they can perhaps access their funds because they're scared if they wait till actual retirement age, there may not be money left in the fund. Well, to help us understand the mechanisms behind the workings of a pension fund and a provident fund, we're joined in studio today by um, Hunter Thine. He's from Thine Jacobs, and he is an attorney that specializes in financial investment litigation, etc. Hunter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chad. Hunter, let's get right down to it. Help us to understand what is a pension fund, what is a provident fund. Okay, a pension fund is actually defined in the Income Tax Act. And the Act says it's a fund that's been bona fide established for a person or for an employer to provide benefits on retirement. Those benefits that you accrue is a right to an annuity. So an annuity being a regular monthly payment of which you can commute on your retirement one-third of that value A provident fund, on the other hand, is where you get access to the full amount at your retirement. So instead of accruing a right to an annuity, you accrue a right to a benefit. You also have a third type of fund called a retirement annuity fund. And the difference between a pension fund and a provident fund and a retirement annuity fund is for a pension and provident fund, you need an employer-employee relationship. So you'll often hear of, as an example, the ESCOM pension fund. So it's only employees of the ESCOM pension fund that can participate in that fund. What that does, it leaves out people that aren't formally employed. 
like sole practitioners, doctors, lawyers, potentially, and that's why you have a retirement annuity fund. A retirement annuity fund is exactly the same as a pension fund where you accrue a right to an annuity on your retirement. So often when people talk to me about pension funds, I ask them a very simple question, which I'm going to ask you. Why do we have pension funds? Mm, For our old age. Okay. Yes. If we didn't have pension funds, who would be potentially responsible to look after us? Government. 100%. So if one looks at the taxation of your contributions to the pension fund, the taxation of the pension fund, and the taxation of the benefits coming from the pension fund, you see that they set up in such a way that you're encouraged during your economically active life to contribute to a retirement fund of sorts. The fund itself is not taxed at all. So there's, let's say, four trillion rands worth of assets that there's no tax paid on at all. And tax is ultimately paid when you accrue your benefit. And you accrue your benefit when you leave, you retire, or you die. Pension funds are also very protected. So you can't use your pension fund as security for a loan. If you go insolvent, your pension fund is protected. When you die... Your pension fund is not governed by your will. It's governed by Section 37C of the pension fund, and the trustees of that fund have to make payment on an equitable basis to your dependents and or nominees. Also, your pension benefit can cannot be reduced unless there's two instances, on divorce and on home loans, and in a pension or provident fund, if you have acknowledged or if the member has acknowledged that they have been found, uh, acknowledged that they've stolen money from their employer and the like, the employer can attach the pension fund benefit. So pension funds are very, very, very protected. They don't form part of your normal assets. So when people talk about my pension, you don't own the money in the pension fund. What you have is a right to a benefit that will accrue at a future date. Who owns the money in the pension fund? The pension fund itself. Well, now we have the definition of a pension fund, of a provident fund, and a retirement annuity. When we come back, we're going to chat to Hunter Thine about the abuse of pension funds and what people need to look out for and why they need to read the small print on an annual basis. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas, and today we're in conversation with Hunter Thine regarding the dangers associated with misappropriation of funds from pension and provident funds. We started off with the definition of what is a pension fund, the difference between the pension, the provident, and the retirement annuity fund. And I now think it's very important for us to to get an understanding of of what funds are currently um, under threat. So one hears about investments into Steinoff via the PRC, the Public Investment Corporation. We know that the, the, the PRC is funded primarily by the Government Employees Pension Fund. What is the, the problem associated with this, Hunter? Why are people nervous to hear that monies that have been invested with the GEPF are now being invested via the PRC into organizations such as Steinhoff? Okay, Chad, I think you have to understand the relationship between the GEPF and the PIC. It's very similar to a relationship between any pension fund and an asset manager. So the Public Investment Corporation is a government-owned asset manager. 
It'll be like Alan Gray, Investec, all the asset managers that have unit trusts. That asset manager has a mandate to invest the assets of the government employees' pension fund. Now, before I go any further, it's very important to understand that there are basically two types of pension funds or provident funds, one that we call a defined benefit. And very simply, in a defined benefit fund, your benefit is defined in terms of the rules. So the normal calculation would be it's going to be how many years you've spent in the fund, what your salary at the end of the uh, when you come to accrue the benefit is times Y percentage. It's the those are more the old era designed funds which try to encourage people to stay with their employer for the long time. In South Africa in 2001, we actually had some interesting case law where some defined benefit funds had surpluses, which meant their assets exceeded their liabilities. Overseas, it's the other way. So in many instances, defined benefit funds overseas are underfunded. And one will remember when Jaguar was up for sale before Tata bought it and that deal fell through. So in England, any purchaser of a company that has a defined benefit uh, pension fund has to ensure that that fund is fully funded prior to the corporate activity. So just going back, your defined benefit fund, your benefit is defined in terms of the rules, and the GEPF is a defined benefit fund. You're going to have the rules that will calculate what your benefit will be at different times. So if you exit the GEPF, you're going to get a withdrawal benefit. When you retire, you're going to get a retirement benefit. When you pass away, your family's going to get a death benefit. Contrast that to most commercial funds, which are what we called defined contribution funds. So there's a contribution. I, I often say it's pay as you go. So whatever you and your participating employer pay into the fund, plus or minus growth, minus fund expenses, is what you get back out. And there was a big move in the late 80s, early 90s to convert funds from defined benefit funds to defined contribution funds. Why? Tell me. Who has the risk if the government employee's pension fund doesn't have enough assets to meet its liabilities? I'm going to take a wild shot in the dark and say the taxpayer. The government, a.k.a. the taxpayer. So if there's a shortfall in any defined benefit fund, the employer participating in that fund has the liability to increase its contributions or you can decrease the member's benefits. So let me stop you now. The government employees pension fund, which makes up the majority of the money invested by the PIC, if there's a shortfall, government has to guarantee that shortfall. They need to find that money. The only place where government makes money in essence is through the taxpayer. So if government messes up right now in respect of the management of funds that, that should be under control of asset managers or under control of the pension fund itself, the taxpayers are going to foot the bill. Ultimately, yes, there's not going to be an immediate call to the taxpayer or to the government to make good the funding deficit. Because if you have a look at a defined benefit fund, it's always going to be a moving target, the assets and the liabilities. So your liabilities will increase on a daily basis because members are staying a bit longer. At the same time, your assets that are invested in the market are increasing and decreasing. So in most, in, in all defined benefit funds, you have to have triannual um, actuarial valuations. 
And when the actuary sits down and sees if there's a shortfall, they make recommendations to the board to say, we've got to increase your contribution for, to the employer or decrease your benefits. And so going back to the GEPF, my last recollection is that the actuary that did the actuarial valuation, there was a shortfall in the GEPF. I think it was then about 700 million rand. But the fund doesn't have to pay out all its members and pensioners right now. So what would then happen is the actuary would make a recommendation to say, we've got to increase your contribution. So the employer, a.k.a. the government, would then start increasing its contributions to get rid of the surplus. So let me ask you this, um, and it's the last question before we go to break. Is it is there a possibility at any stage that there could be a run on a pension fund? And I'll tell you why. I've spoken to a lot of teachers, a lot of policemen, people that work for the public sector, and they've heard rumors that their fund is in trouble. Is there a possibility that there could be a run on a fund, and would a fund be able to afford the payout of all members based on their current um, modus operandi, the way that they conduct the fund and the calculations that they use in terms of investments, etc.? I'm going to get you to answer that question. My participation in a pension and provident fund is dependent on what? My employment. If I'm not employed by the employer participating in the fund, I can't be a member of that fund. So the answer to your question is technically, yes, there can be a run of the fund, uh, on the fund because if all the members of that employer resign, they can't remain members of the fund and then they paid withdrawal benefits. So if all government employees had to resign, which is highly unlikely, that fund would then have to calculate its liabilities as at the date of resignation. It would then have to weigh up, do I have the assets to pay those benefits? And remember, your withdrawal benefit is not the same as your retirement benefit. They're going to be a bit less. So I, I also have heard of police, policemen and teachers and even magistrates um, wanting to exit formal employment with the government in order to access their pension fund. And this was particularly so when you had the likes of Steinhoff and other companies where the PIC had invested large amounts of money in going belly up. And members were suddenly scared. And I think the members need to understand or the public needs to understand that it's not your money there. There's a board of management of the fund that governs that money. It chooses the asset managers. In the GEPF's case, it has chosen the PIC. So the PIC is like any other financial advisor. It has to look at the mandate and say, I think this investment is good for my client, being the government employees pension fund, UIF fund, the guardians fund. So technically, going back to the original question, if every single member of a pension or provident fund had to resign, and it's in a defined benefit fund, if the assets of that fund don't meet the liabilities, the withdrawal liabilities, the employer will be called upon to make good that shortfall. When we come back, we're going to speak to Hunter more about how the investment takes place and what decision-making process goes into the works to determine how pension money gets invested. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. 
Today we're chatting about the potential of misappropriation of funds from pension and provident funds. And one of the, the classic scenarios was the PRC investment into Steinhoff that caused a, a, a large amount of fear amongst people who were employed in the public sector. Explain to us the business model of a pension fund or a provident fund. A lot of people think that it's money that they pay to a pension fund or to the employer. The employer makes a contribution and gets stuck in a bank account. It accrues interest. What's the reality? Okay. So in terms of the Pension Funds Act, Section 19 read with Regulation 28 regulates how pension assets can be invested. Very simply, the trustees of that fund have an obligation to the fund first. So it's not the member's money. As I said, it's owned by the fund. And the trustees have to have an investment philosophy. They've then got to go out into the market and use approved financial service providers to invest the fund's assets. So the process would be, and it often happens with very large funds, that the big asset managers all go through what the industry calls a beauty parade in front of the board of trustees, explaining why the fund should invest money with that asset manager. That asset manager often has a mandate, and it says that I need, or our return that we expect, the fund expects from the asset manager, is um, inflation plus 1%. And that's how you benchmark and you weigh whether or not the asset manager is doing their job. So going back to just the cash flow, at the end of the month, you get your salary. You look at your payslip, your payslip will say you've had 200 rand deducted to go to a pension fund. The employer pays 200 rand. Now, you might be one of 500 employees. So the employer has to calculate each amount that it has to pay to the provident fund or to the pension fund. It pays one check. The administrator then has to allocate that one check amongst the 500 members. Once it's allocated that, in many instances, some funds allow members to choose how their investments are invested. It's called individual member choice. And if you have individual member choice, you might choose collective investment scheme or unit trust ABC. I'll choose DEF. So the administration, as you can see, suddenly gets quite complicated. I'm getting one check-in. I've got to divide it into 500 different parts because we're all paying different contributions. And we've suddenly got five different investments. That then, what would then happen is after the money's cleared in the bank account and been allocated in the system, the fund would go and send that money to the asset manager. So physically, if you were going to buy, just by way of an example, Alan Gray Equity Fund, and your 200 rand or your 75% of 200 rand was going to go into that. There would be a physical transfer of money from the fund's bank account into Alan Gray Equity Fund's bank account. Alan Gray Equity as a collective investment scheme then has a mandate, and those asset managers then have the right to invest that money in terms of the mandate. And I think that's very important for people to understand. Some funds don't allow individual member choice, and there's a lot of discussions in the industry now where in the olden days we didn't have individual member choice. The board of trustees managed the assets. They made the decisions. 
with the new advent of defined contribution where suddenly the employer doesn't have the liability. If you manage your pension fund assets correctly, you can make them grow a lot faster. So that's why you have financial advisors involved. So let me ask you this. You started the, to answer the question by saying that asset managers are appointed after a so-called beauty parade. They come along and they, they go to the funds and they say, we the best to invest based on most probably historical data or some other algorithm that they may have. They're going to invest maybe in a property portfolio, perhaps in, in unit trust, perhaps in shares. But herein lies a problem, I believe. Is this not open to corruption? The appointment of an asset manager, is there not some way he can induce a fund to appoint him, taking it at the literal sense of a him and a him? Is it not possible for members of a fund who are managing that fund on behalf of the group of members to be induced to invest with a certain asset manager? Yes, is the blunt answer. If you have a look at the composition of the board of management of the fund, or if they call trustees, in terms of the Pension Funds Act, half of, if, if it hasn't got an exemption, it's like an umbrella fund, half of the members of the board have to be appointed by members of the fund, and the other half by either employers or employer bodies or unions. And everybody or most people or some people are susceptible to being bribed in order to get something back. So if there's a, if, if the, if the financial market knows there's 500 million rand available for investment from fund A, there's a good possibility that the marketing people working for that asset manager will know who the trustees are, and then there's all these different entertainment um, opportunities that arise. And there's now been some corporate governance issues at uh, Pension Fund Circular 130. And often the boards specifically say that you can't accept any gifts from any service provider up to a certain amount. So theoretically, it shouldn't happen. But practically, I know of examples where certain people have been given Mercedes Benzes in order to influence the way that they will vote in the appointment of an administrator, an asset manager. So yes, you, you do have corruption at that level and at the board level. We've reached the halfway part of our show and what I've taken away from this is there's a lot of information out there that you as somebody who's invested um, in an investment um, or, or a pension fund or a problem fund, etc., need to take cognizance of. But what's the most frightening for me is the fact that asset managers can capture a fund. And when we come back from this break, we're going to speak to Hunter about examples of how this capture can impact and what is in place to protect the person whose pension fund at the end of the day is being invested by these asset managers. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're talking about the misappropriation of funds um, involving pension and provident funds. And there's so many examples. One just has to remember what happened with J. Arthur Brown with Fidentia, with the Police Widows and Orphans Fund. Um, we read about Anglo-America, uh, uh, Anglo-Platinum employees losing money um, between 255 to 560 million through a, a company called Bopelo Beneficiary Fund. 
Um, and then, of course, there was the transit pension fund where people are not getting what they expected to get out of it. And one of the most recent cases is Translinear. What's going on and how is it that there's no checks and balances in place that allow these people to misappropriate funds, Hunter? Chad, it's it's actually very sad that the boards of trustees actually don't, in many instances, understand financial markets. So if you go back just how I said a board of management or board of trustees is comprised of, you've got 50% member employee, uh, member trustees and 50% normal employees of the company. If I had to ask you, tell me the difference between cash bonds and equities. Could you tell me the difference? No. Most people would think a bond is a mortgage bond. It's not. So I've seen it in practice where asset managers will come to the beauty parade dressed very nicely, throw a nice lavish party, bring nice food, and they will talk financial jargon. And because there's a nice building and everything's flashy, those me- those board members trust those financial institutions. They should, in essence, do due diligences. So due diligence would be, in my opinion, going to the asset managers and on an annual basis have a checklist. So they would have a look and say to the asset manager, have you in the last year fired anybody for insider trading? What do I mean by insider trading? Very simply, if I am an asset manager and I'm managing an account and I know that in three days' time I'm going to buy 100 million rands worth of a specific stock, I could deprive the fund of the ultimate benefit by me buying that stock now in anticipation of my 100 million purchase for the pension fund in three days' time, increasing the value of the fund. That is typically insider trading, or you've got insider knowledge. You've got knowledge that is proprietary to yourself, and you use that for your benefit. So I would, in all instances, when a board of trustees has to select asset managers, have a specific checklist of... What are the warning signs? How many staff have left in the last year? Have you prosecuted anybody for insider trading? What are your insider trading um, policies? I want to see those policies. What does your insurance cover? The other important thing is, I don't, I, I think most asset managers would agree with me that they don't have all the knowledge all the time. You've got to look at the investment process. So how does an asset manager who's managing 500 million rands worth of equities for a pension fund choose what equities to buy? What process goes into that? If I had to say to you, would you rather invest in a company that's got a market cap of 5 billion or a company that's got a market cap of 100 million, you would probably say to me the bigger one's going to be safer because there's a, a, a bigger market cap. But if I told you the names of those two different companies, you might change completely. And I think often asset managers and, again, looking at the mandates, are influenced by the market talk. Steinhoff is a prime example. You had one of the wealthiest men in South Africa invest a fortune into Steinhoff, only to be duped. And Steinhoff for years and years and years was the darling of the JSE, and it all came crashing down. 
So, Hunter, there's a, there's a quote here. Benita Swart, a 61-year-old transit pensioner, said, The retirees have no idea what was done with our money, how they invested it, how much was looted. We will work for scraps until we died. Until we die, she said. That is a heartbreaking statement to be made by somebody who's a member of a pension fund. And my question to you is, what is there to protect the pensioners right now? Because we're hearing about plundering taking place. We're hearing governments saying, listen, open up the coffers of the pension funds. We will use that money to bail out various state-owned entities. But what protection do our pensioners currently have? Good governance in boards of management. So if the board, if the trustees go through proper process and appoint proper asset managers, you talked about trilinear earlier on, and I'll talk to you on that. If you do your due diligence, simple due diligence, you might save the pension fund money because it's not going to lose it. So trilinear was quite simple. It was an asset manager based in Cape Town. They created something called the Trilinear Empowerment Trust. Um, they had somebody within the unions who then motivated the trustees of five funds to invest 500 million rand into the trust. The first check would be, can a trust hold pension fund monies? And the answer to that is no. It's either going to be held in the fund's name or in a nominee company, or if it's private equity funds and the like, it can then be held in a trust. So on day one, if the trustees had done a due diligence on this trilinear empowerment trust, they would have said, but you're foundering at the law. What then happens is once the money goes in, you then have a board of trustees that appoint a trilinear asset managers. The board asks on a quarterly basis, and most uh, boards of trustees have quarterly meetings, and they get feedback from the investment consultant, and they can see where the assets are invested. Remember, I'm talking at a board level, not a member level. What happened in Trilinear is a lot of the investment reports were dubious. There was not enough detail for those trustees to actually interrogate and see if the assets were valid. What can a member do? A member, and most pension funds today have websites. So you can go onto the website and see where are the pension assets invested? What companies? Now, in a perfect world, you've got these boards, you've got this oversight, but Benita Swart says, we will work for scraps until we die. What happened to her money if her funds were misappropriated um, along with thousands of other members of that particular fund? Is there no way to recover that money? Isn't there an insurance over that money? Or, or is it once it's gone, it's gone? Well, that's, that's a different issue. So you've then got to say, who caused the negligence? So in terms of the Financial Advisory Intermediary Services Act, every financial service provider, including the PIC, has to have insurance. So it would be either public uh, indemnity insurance or directors and officers insurance. So if you could prove in a court of law, beyond reasonable doubt, that the cause of the loss to the fund was the negligence of the asset manager, the fund would sue the asset manager, and the asset manager's insurer would then step in. If, on the other hand, 
the loss was caused due to the trustee's negligence, the fund can sue the trustees. And the Pension Funds Act, Section 7F, I think it is, specifically excludes liability from a trustee, legal liability from a trustee when they haven't acted willfully, negligently, and the like. So, yes, there, there are mechanisms, but one then has to have a look at the cost to the fund of suing an asset manager because you're not necessarily suing an asset manager, you're suing an insurer. And the burden of proof is always going to be on the fund to show that the asset manager made the wrong choice and they used the wrong information. The fund would also then have to, if the fund was going to sue the trustees, it's going to call on its insurer to sue the trustees and said you were negligent in appointing these asset managers. Why were you negligent? So last question before we go to break. Benita Swart, she's 61. Um, she's now 62. This is an article from May last year. Um, they living off next to nothing from the fund. While all this litigation is taking place in the background, etc., are we saying that pensioners would have to wait for that litigation to end to maybe see something? And how long could that litigation take? Litigation can take years and years and years. Um, not only that, you need probably experts. And in many instances, one of the, the tactics followed by a defendant is to drag it out for as long as possible. So in Benita Swart's case, if she's a pensioner of the fund and the fund has lost money, if she's a defined benefit member, she's still going to get her annuity, but she might not get any increases. And I think that's what's happened in many of the, uh, in one of the transnet funds. So they're getting 1,800 rand or 1,900 rand a month with no increases because the fund doesn't have that money. If, if the lawsuit is successful and the money that was lost is put back into the fund, the fund trustees might then say, we are going to give the pensioners who suffered as a result of this loss a larger pension this month or increase pensioners, pensions for a longer period or, or higher than, than usual for, and for a longer period of time. But remember, trustees also have to make sure the solvency of the fund is always um, managed correctly. We're going to take our last break of the day. When we come back, we're going to ask Hunter his opinion on whether or not our pension funds should be opened up to bail out state-owned entities. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today I've been in conversation with Hunter Thine from Thine Jacobs. He's an attorney that specializes in financial services and in particular is regarded as a specialist when it comes to pension and provident funds. Hunter, my question to you right now is, are our pensions safe? Should our pensions be utilized um, within the government um, structures? And do you believe that there's sufficient um, laws in place and sufficient governance in place to, to make pensioners feel at ease going forward? Chad, that's a very difficult question to answer. And, I'll and, and slightly loaded. Yes, it is. Um, the reality is, even today, a lot of pension funds are exposed to government risk. 
When I've talked about bonds, a bond is where the government will go out to the market and want to raise capital and say we'll have a 20-year bond, we'll pay this amount of interest for those 20 years, and in 20 years' time you get your money back. A lot of pension funds already have government bonds. A lot of pension funds, Eskom might do the same, go out and raise money by, by issuing a bond. So a lot of pension funds already have government exposure. What potentially the government is wanting to do is talk about infrastructure. Should a pension fund invest in infrastructure in the country? And there's two arguments. If I had to ask you, what should the sole purpose be for the trustees of a pension fund regarding your money? To maximize it so you've got the highest retirement benefit on your retirement? Or should it be conscious that there isn't enough infrastructure in the country? So by way of an example, you've got somebody contributing to a pension fund that doesn't have running water. There's an argument to say that that person would rather take that money and give it to some fund to put in the infrastructure, as opposed to the argument a pension fund is there to maximize the growth of the asset at the expense of who. So I think, and you know, if infrastructure starts to fail in South Africa, we're going to have a big problem because the big listed entities that the pension funds are already invested in might not be able to do business. So if the road structure collapses and you've got a, a major bank that suddenly can't deliver money and there's problems getting to the banks, the share values of that bank are going to decrease. So I, I once heard a, a person specifically saying that if the Pension Funds Act had to be amended to say a portion of pension fund assets should not necessarily go to the government in order to bail out state-owned enterprises, but were to go into a fund of sorts that helped South Africa develop its infrastructure, maybe it wouldn't be that bad. And we already had it in the GEPF. Tabo Mbeki years ago created something called the Isibio Fund. I don't know how much money has been invested in it, but that fund's specific mandate, so it was a fund within the GEPF, and the mandate given by the trustees was to invest in infrastructure in Africa. And the logic was quite simple at that stage. If, our, if South Africa's neighbors are all stable and the like, we're not going to have huge um, migration of people into South Africa where it's perceived as being safer. I get what you're saying, but... Uh, with respect to Mr. Mbeki, charity starts at home. I'm beginning to think it's a damned if we do, damned if we don't scenario where the pension fund money is needed to help keep our infrastructure um, in place in South Africa as it currently stands. Do we need a change in terms of leadership? Do we need to ensure that checks and balances are increased? What has been lacking up until now? Because when one looks at state capture, um, it's been st- state-owned entities. One looks at SAA, one looks at ESCOM, etc. And we're now talking about investing in those organizations to keep them operational. What needs to be done? What went wrong in the past? And what needs to be done to ensure that those funds are protected? 
again, it comes down, in my opinion, to good governance, and it comes down to making the people that are custodians of pension assets accountable for the decisions made. The GEPF has already invested money in ETOLs. Now, one just has a look at that. I, I, I don't know how many billion went into that. And the public at large hasn't taken to ETOLs. What's happening to that 50, I think it was about a 50 billion rand investment. Um, the safeguards that need to be put in place is that we need to hold those that govern the country responsible for how they look after the assets of the country. Sure. And, and, and the asset is a pension fund. I'll, I'll just, sorry to interrupt you, I'll just go back to the 2008 financial crisis. Do you know, there were certain countries around the world that privatized, uh, sorry, that took away private pensions. They nationalized private pensions. Cyprus was one example. Because the government had no money. And there's a honeypot sitting there in South Africa of $4 trillion. Iceland's pension fund was completely wiped out as a, a result of the financial crisis. So in my mind, you've got to be very wary of having policies in place that would allow pension fund assets to be invested in state-owned enterprises or infrastructure investments where there isn't any prospect of a financial gain. So my last question to you today, when one looks at the J. Arthur Browns, the Fidentiers, the Regions Capital debacle, the Translinear, are pension funds problematic? Or in your opinion, as a specialist in this field, are we overcomplicating things and overworrying a situation that can be remedied? If one has a look at the total value of assets in a pension fund, I think it's four trillion rand at the moment. And if I'm, I'm not a, an accountant, I'm a lawyer. If I had to use accounting jargon and one looks at the materiality of how much money has been stolen or misappropriated, it's a small amount. I think a majority of pension funds are managed correctly. They're managed by proper asset managers that are accountable to the public. What members of the fund need to do is take a more active role in the appointment of their trustees. Make the trustees accountable. Just as the shareholders in a, in a company make the directors responsible for the operation of the company, so too must the members make the board of management of a pension fund accountable. Ask them about the procedures that they're doing in appointing asset managers. And it's not only, you know, you can have fraud along the whole value chain. What are the processes that you follow in choosing a service provider? Often I'm asked when looking at administration systems, what is materiality in a pension fund? For me, it's one cent. Because if I've got one cent missing or a hundred rand missing, it might mean that the system, the administration system is not functioning correctly. Hunter Thine from Thine Jacobs, thank you for joining us today. One thing that I have taken away and I think it's an important point for everyone to take away is that a member of a fund is almost like a shareholder of a company. 
Take an interest in knowing what your fund is investing in, making sure that governance is taking place. If you can attend an AGM, attend an AGM. Make sure you visit the website. Make sure you get the documentation in place. And, of course, if you need advice, contact Hunter Thine, Thine Jacobs. Hunter, so much. Thank you, Chad, for having me. And um, we'll definitely have you back because as it stands right now, there's a lot of current court cases. and It'll be very interesting to see where those court cases go. Most definitely. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. And the podcast of today's show will be uploaded tomorrow. So if you enjoyed today's show, have any questions, you can contact Hunter Thine via Thine Jacobs, or you can listen to the podcast or share the podcast with somebody.